Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kendall Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Azure Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Evan Baslick, here with my fellow co-host, Kale Teeter, Sajit DeMello, Russell Young, and our special guest, April Edwards. Um, we'll get to April in a minute. She's going to talk to us um, about Bicep, which we've mentioned on the show before, but we're going to do a little bit of a uh, deeper dive on it today. Um, we're recording this on September, September, jeez, January 17th of 2023. See, April, like we were talking before the show, one take, we just keep going. Um, and, uh, you know, before we get to our special guest, uh, let's uh, turn it over to my fellow co-host. Looks like they've got some news. Yeah. Uh, okay. Good morning. Good afternoon. All. Uh, I put a few uh, updates in the show notes. So I'll cover three of them. Uh, the first one is related to the Azure automation, especially the editing of Azure automation runbooks. Uh, as you know, uh, we, uh, uh, we 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 did one of those for the azpodcast.com website, where we have the little widget uh, which counts the number of downloads, uh, and that's an Azure automation job. And I remember when uh, working on it, it was a real pain in the neck to actually edit it in the portal. The experience in the portal is not, I mean, it's nice, but it's not really a coding experience that you, uh, a developer would be used to. Happy to say that uh, they have now released um, a VS Code extension for it. So you could now edit uh, the extensions, uh, the sorry, the runbooks in, the, in VS Code itself. You get uh, things like uh, you, you, you uh, edit uh, debugging, which is something that uh, I would certainly have appreciated at the time because uh, it, I spent a lot of time uh, trying to figure out how to make that run. Uh, and of course, other things like um, you can you can trigger the jobs, you could uh, track uh, running jobs, and all from VS Code itself. So that's uh, certainly one update uh, to look forward to. Uh, another one is uh, about uh, ingestion of data into uh, ADX, uh, Azure Data Explorer. Last week, we talked about how ADX can consume uh, log4j data. That was one of the updates from last week. This week, they uh, with a, there's another update now where they can consume data from Azure Cosmos DB directly. And so in almost near real time, uh, you could uh, take the data from Cosmos DB, put it into ADX, run some Power BI dashboards. They're talking, uh, you know, sub-second uh, latency as well, if you if you really need it uh, that, uh, that frequently. And so that's... Uh, Again, not much, uh, you know, just configuration, not much code to write there. Uh, and then the third one is also related to data, data ingestion, and this is into ADLS. So if you uh, using uh, Event Hubs, uh, typically when the, you get the data from Event Hub, you want to store it somewhere, uh, and you you know you had to write uh, typically you write some sort of uh, script or something to take the data and then put it into some database or some store somewhere. One of those stores happens to be the Delta Lake format uh, in ADLS, where uh, that's like a parquet-like format uh, with some additional asset asset transaction attributes on top of it. But the problem is, again, I don't know if you've done this before, uh, it, the coding experience is difficult even in that scenario. Now they have come up with a no-code editor where you literally just point uh, you know, at, the, at your stream, your event upstream, 
and uh, it'll just put it directly into a Delta Lake format in ADLS. Again, uh, just make it easy to get all that information into ADLS. And then, of course, you could run all sorts of uh, processing on top of that. That's Thanks. those are my updates. Thanks, Jeet. Russell? No, I'm afraid I'm kind of freeloading today. I I, um, I did have a meeting plan, so I wasn't attending. And then I saw April's name pop up on it and my meeting got cancelled. So here I am. So sorry, no no updates from me today. Oh, it looks like you were going to, it looks like uh, Sajit maybe stole your, uh, at your, at your automation thing. Oh, man, Sajit. No, you know, no, like, no. It was, it was, it was like well <laughs> Kale? Yeah, I just have one. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Like, yeah it's a little yeah. weird. Um, so I just have one today. It's around the uh, OpenAI service for Azure. Uh, so there was a uh, blog post just put out by CVP here talking about, uh, of our AI platform, talking about our ongoing partnership with OpenAI and this OpenAI service, for those who don't know, in Azure includes things like GPT-3.5, I think now, uh, Codex and Dolly, all these different kind of AI services. And basically what this is, is kind of talking about the roadmap and how we got here. Um, you know, the OpenAI service started in 2021, uh, November, and basically, you know, has advanced. It's, it's GA now capable for enterprise customers to use. Um, this blog post talks a lot about KPMG and other partners, large-scale partners who are using this. GitHub Copilot, Power BI, all the integration that we built there, as well as like the responsible AI side of it, uh, particularly interesting for enterprise. So yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's been in the news a ton, uh, a ton recently, right? Um, cool, excellent. Well, yeah, no, there's some good updates. Um, uh, so at this point, let's um, you know roll over to April. April, if you could introduce yourself and uh, you know tell us what you do here at Microsoft. Thanks, Evan. So my name is April Edwards. I'm a cloud. What am I? I'm a cloud developer advocate <laughs> and DevOps practice lead at Microsoft. It's a heck of a mouthful. Um, basically, I teach people about the cloud. I help them understand the cloud. Um, I run a DevOps on Azure YouTube channel called the DevOps Lab. I help maintain a lot of the DevOps dev blogs uh, platforms. Um, and I work through a lot with a lot of product groups. And I don't just do DevOps. I do a lot of infrastructure as code, automation, deployment into Azure. And uh, yeah, I've been at Microsoft for about five years now. Awesome. And Great to have you're you. based in the UK, right? Which is... Uh, yes, I am, in, is, I am based is, in the UK and I do have a British passport, so I am technically a citizen. They've allowed me to stay after 10 years, so uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm here to stay in England for a while. Yeah, and I, I run into April every now and then because she is at all our big live events like Ignite in Manchester this year. Bumped into you there and uh, yeah, yeah, great to, great to see you on the podcast at last. So, so yeah. what I'm hearing is Russell was holding out on us and, and wasn't having her on before is what I just heard. Yes, he was keeping me a secret locked away somewhere. Uh, but yeah, I've I've been at uh, Microsoft Ignite. I've been hosting here in the UK and I've also been hosting Microsoft Build. And I had a few sessions at Build uh, in 2022. So hopefully awesome. coming in 2023, I should have some more sessions at uh, Build and maybe Ignite. Awesome. Awesome. We'll have to have you back. You know, if you've got some good sessions, we'll have Absolutely. you back to talk about them for sure. Cool. Um, awesome. Well, yeah. So we invited you here to to talk about Bicep today. Uh, let's start out with sort of the obvious, you know, question: What is Bicep, and and why should I, you know, why do I care about it? Absolutely. And I think a lot of people ask the question about which infrastructure as code language do I want to use, right. and yeah. and that's where we start, right? They hear about this thing called infrastructure as code. 
Um, I actually wrote a blog about infrastructure's code we can share with everyone um, that kind of goes through the pros and cons. It's it's still pretty high level, so uh, there's still decisions to be made. But if you're deploying into Azure and you want to use infrastructure's code, you want to scale, you want to make things reproducible. I'll be honest, it sucks. Like it's terrible. It, I, I will, I will. It had a huge learning curve. It had a lot of problems. It's a pain in the butt to, tra- sure. to troubleshoot, yeah. right? And, you know, I, I've not been an ARM fan for a long time. But when I started working in Azure, I was like, oh, infrastructure as code. So it started piquing my interest in infrastructure as code. But I really found other languages that I liked better. So, and I think also coming from an IT ops background. Learning ARM was difficult. It was a barrier to entry for anyone trying to get into Azure. So you can get an ARM template if you go into the Azure portal, build, uh, let's say, a virtual machine, and then you can spit out an ARM template. The funny thing is, even though it's just spit out a template of what you've deployed, if you try to run it again, it doesn't work. It doesn't work like ever. I'll say that 50 percent of the time, maybe. And so trying to troubleshoot that was painful. So I remember having to learn JSON and banging my head against a wall and not even like a proverbial wall, like a real wall, because I'm trying to accelerate my delivery. Um, and I found when I started working at cust- with customers as well, they didn't like it. Um, so Microsoft is amazing at listening to the community. There are other tools out there in the universe that people may use. Um, also, people use things like PowerShell natively because they're working in the cloud. And um, they took the time and they did some research. And I was actually involved in the beta versions of Bicep, actually. Um, I was working with the product group, and the idea was find an infrastructure as code tool that is easier for people to learn and to utilize and bring more features to the table. So when they came up with this great idea, I remember the product group going, do you think this should be in JavaScript kind of format or in PowerShell format? And I'm like, well, I'm biased. And as an IT ops person, PowerShell is cool and everyone should love PowerShell. Um, Let's make it more PowerShell friendly. Uh, But what they did is they looked at the numbers across the globe. JavaScript is actually the more popular language. Um, So they went with JavaScript formatting. Now, as an IT pro, you're thinking, I don't know JavaScript. True. Um, But what that has basically meant is it's easier to pick up. Um, It's easier to pick up as a templating language. So I think that's the really high level of it. Um, And I think the other thing is, too, if, if you were to pull up an ARM template, a JSON template next to a a bicep template, a bicep template is half the amount of lines of code you have to write flat out. Wow. So that's huge. Yeah. I mean, th- that's one of the, the great things of it. I mean, if you think I have to write some code or a template and I don't know what I'm doing and it takes, you know, so many lines of code. I mean, just to give you an example of numbers, right? I happen to have a um, an ARM template in front of me because why not? Um, <laughs> if I'm deploying something like an Azure web app, Really simple. Uh, need to, dec- you know, declare the location, everything else. That is exactly the bicep template is 33 lines. Wow. That's exactly That's half. Yeah. Just so, to play devil's yeah. advocate a little bit, people don't, or in my experience, people don't tend to go off and write an ARM template from scratch. You you start with templates and you start with building blocks and then you just fill in the gaps, right? How, how does that compare to bicep with bicep would you start from nothing and build up or is it the same kind of thing where you you insert blocks of building things so i think it's very similar so other thing they did with bicep is you can access pretty much all the bicep scripts online in a github repo um, i mean people share them in blogs all the time but you can access a bicep template very very easily and you can take someone's existing bicep template now 
you can be the devil's advocate. So for instance, in an ARM template or a BICEP template, you have to declare parameters. So when I talk to someone who's an IT pro and we talk about scalability, so we need to think about things like uh, location. So when I talk to customers about, um, you know, we, we might deploy to one data center in Azure, but our DR plan or disaster recovery plan, or maybe our resiliency plan is to deploy to another data center all I need to do is change that one parameter, i.e. the location. Now, the parameter declarations in ARM were a lot harder as well. When you looked at an ARM template, they were really convoluted, really gross. Um, and then in BICEP, they simplified that. It's much, much simpler. Uh, again, a lot less lines of code. So if you think of, you know, a, a, an old ARM template, I, I'm looking at mine right now. My parameters lines are 25 lines long. My whole BICEP template is less than that. And to call that parameter is so much easier. And it's easier to read. You know, the parameters literally one line long or not even a full line. It takes up just one line, whereas the parameters file in a JSON is a lot longer. So that ability to just like scale that is much harder. But, yeah, these are all available online. They're effectively open source. You can get to it. Um, there's they're all in GitHub repos. If you want to deploy something in Azure, someone's written a bicep template for you. The other thing is um, authoring bicep has gotten really good in Visual Studio Code. Um, there are extensions and hookins. So when I go to write something, it can help me auto populate what I need to know. And there's uh, some great capability there. And I guess if it's more concise without losing any of the control that you would have had before, then that's just going to increase the maintainability and readability for other people to come and continue Absolutely. using that piece. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you have to remember now bicep sits over top of an ARM template. So it is still um, talking to Azure via that ARM template. But you as the user don't have to see that messy disaster zone. You are literally just configuring that BICEP template. But absolutely, we want to make them reusable because that's what infrastructure code is, infrastructure's code is about. It's not about deploy something once with a push of a button. We want to eliminate those human errors without question. April, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the um kind of the advancements I feel like Bicep has brought, like uh, somebody who worked, I worked with ARM long, long time ago. And I remember early on the product group saying, we're not building languages here because we needed like things like, hey, we need conditional statements and we need all this dependency stuff and all these other yep. things. And yep. they were like, listen, we don't want to complicate anything. So we're not doing that. And then they kind of did it a little bit. Like there were some pieces in there and then it got complicated. And I just wondered if you could speak to that as a non-programmer, sounds like more on the infrastructure side. Mm -hmm how that feels in bicep versus arm uh, to you. Absolutely. So, Kale, have you ever done like large, large arm templates? Oh, yeah. So, Multiple. To yeah. The whole deal. Right. yeah. Big beast. There'd be hundreds of lines long. You'd And if you had a problem, you had to dig through them. There was not a great way to find that. Um, what they did in bicep, they added a bunch of features. So one of the things they did as well is add modules, which is one of my favorite features of bicep. So a module is I can call something. So... Um, I'm an infrastructure person and I need to segment out my infrastructure. So maybe I'll group my similar resources into modules. So let's say my Azure web apps or my virtual machines or my networking components. So if I need to make a change, I just need to change that module and my main template calls that module. So it's much easier for me to a read and to maintain and to understand. Um, and then that's also enabled to put in conditions and loops so that if we need to deploy multiple items or use if statements to say, if this resource exists, deploy X, or we can pull that data out. That stuff that didn't exist in ARM and ARM was just an unwieldy beast. And when we when we manage infrastructures, we've got a lot to do. Uh, we've got to feed and water our, our you know, we can call it cats, for, uh, excuse me, uh, pets versus cattle, right? 
in the old days, we had these pets. We fed them, we watered them, we nurtured them. That took our time. So when we go to infrastructure as code, we need to treat our servers and our infrastructure like cattle. You know, we change our naming conventions so we can use naming conventions and scale that up and out using conditions and everything else um, and using those parameters. So instead of having a server farm where I've named everything after my favorite microbrew or a barbecue meal or a mountain range, as I used to do in previous companies, I literally go VM01, VM02, and they just scale out. So it's so much easier to maintain. I can destroy it, redeploy it and I have that ability to then scale that, which I didn't have before. And it's easy to see in a, in a, in a bicep template. It is, it, you know, one of the, so I did, did some arm stuff. Absolutely agree with you on some of the challenges debugging <laughs> it. Um, but one of the reasons that, um, you know, I would historically have ended up in arm is because and this is just the nature of layering languages on top of arm is, you know, the PowerShell command that was not released or didn't support X or the CLI didn't support, you know, Y. Um, is there a similar challenge in, in Bicep where there are times where you may still have to drop to ARM or can you really live in Bicep at this point? There are some use cases where you have to go to ARM. Um, this was also the use case for some other infrastructure as code languages when working in Azure um, for different reasons. Um, so one thing that really happens is uh, if you're using the deploy to Azure button, and I, I think we've all seen it, you're trying to learn to do something new and you want to deploy to Azure, or you want to deploy something to the Azure marketplace, um, it uses ARM in the back end. So I think where, as an organization, Microsoft needs to really pick up is saying, we will enable Bicep to be used for deploy to marketplace uh, features. So if you're writing an app or you know getting your app out into the marketplace. Oh, so like sharing it, you mean, basically? Yes, with, with, so you okay, have to gotcha. use an ARM template, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I've written in other infrastructure code language where I've had to embed ARM into that. Um, and that's been that's been brutal and yep. it doesn't always work. And the other thing that you have to think about, and I didn't talk about this before um, when Kale had his question, but uh, the dependency feature in Azure, when you deploy a template in any language, you know, you can pick any language, any infrastructure as code tool, it's calling the Azure API. And when you're in a declarative language, um, it's just telling Azure deploy these things, not in what order. So there's also dependency requirements yep. that we have to think about. Now, as an IT pro, I'm thinking, I don't know what needs to come first, the chicken or the egg. So if I just tell it what I need, it figures it out, but then it hits um, breaking points. So that depends on feature that says, actually, you need this first, then that is great. Whereas with ARM, I have to know those dependencies and embed those into that template uh, makes for a very painful, painful development experience. Okay, so it, so it sounds like sort of at a high level. I mean, I should start these days, if I'm if I'm doing something, I should start with Bicep. Right. If I have to drop to ARM at some point, you know, for some, you know, edge thing or whatever, I, by all means. But I'm, I'm sort of no worse off than I was in the first mm -hmm. place at them, and I'm, and I'm significantly further ahead because the rest of the stuff is sitting in, in Bicep. Absolutely, and I think most of the use cases apply to Bicep um, are there. It's, it's some very, very edge use cases that we see ARM still being used, and um, you know, everything's available what we call day zero support. So as soon as we release a new product into Azure, Bicep can support it because it's calling that Azure API. Nice. Now, uh, April, when you uh, write Bicep code, as you mentioned, under the covers, it's using ARM. So there is, mm -hmm. uh, I guess, some sort of a compilation or transformation that happens uh, when you actually want to run this code. So when Azure gets it, it's it doesn't know about the original Bicep code. It just knows about the ARM, which was generated mm -hmm. by the 
bicep compiler or whatever you call it. Uh, one of the problems I've had is that when there are problems or errors that that manifest in that uh, in the Azure deployment, it's difficult to correlate that back. Sometimes difficult to correlate that back to where in your bicep code that may have originated. So I was wondering if you know if there was any tips and tricks for our listeners on how to make that experience easier, or if Microsoft is doing anything to kind of unify the experience a little bit uh, between bicep going straight to the uh, to Azure. Absolutely. Um, there's I think. As an IT ops person, we don't think about testing our infrastructure as code. Um, I think we've written scripts in the past, but not always tested things. So there's a great tool out there called PS Rule, which is really nice. Um, you can use other products out there. But I think in terms of knowing what you're going to deploy, there, there used to actually be a visualizer for ARM. Uh, so you can know what you're deploying, when you're deploying it. Um, I believe there is one for Bicep, actually. Um, but I think where we have some of the issues is, is sometimes we need to run testing tools. Um, but a lot of times the failure can be intermittent as well. And that's where the dependency or depends on um, features really good. But I think sometimes it takes a bit of digging and knowing where that is. Um, I've had issues with, and I'll give a really valid example, is networking. Um, the networking has to be deployed before, let's say, a virtual machine or a virtual machine scale set. But how do you know that? I remember that because it was a weird, obscure place in my brain that I had this issue when deploying infrastructure by hand many moons ago um, and a bit of, you know, searching to find these things. So I think sometimes it is a bit of troubleshooting. There are some tools out there, but I think testing is where we tend to see um, a lack of uh, experience in the IT ops world, but an area that we need to kind of talk about more and express more um um, reasons to do it. I think we've all pushed the big red button. Something's broken or not worked. We need to stop doing that and think about how we test something or deploy it into a different environment. Um, start using different environments uh, with our tooling. And that's the beauty of the cloud. You know, spin up a, a UAT environment or a dev test environment and see what happens, then deploy it to production. Yeah, uh, talking of testing, uh, one tool that I have used called ARM TTK. I don't know if you okay. have uh, uh, ARM test tool. Get something like that it stands for, uh, and uh, it does essentially some linting or you know mm -hmm. validation of your, of the as you said of the arm, just to uh, avoid the obvious uh, problems that you may be causing. Yeah, and I think also there's there's a couple levels of which you have to test as well, right? Um, so if you're using something like VS Code, VS Code can pick out some inherent coding errors. So maybe you've declared something but not called it in your template, or you've you know, accidentally written something in a way that formatting wise doesn't work. So the linting tools are great. Um, just the, sorry, the visualizers are great within VS Code to know, you know, are you writing your code properly? Then a linting tool is great to review it. Um, and this is all about putting things into pipelines as well. But we can run all this locally from our machines, test everything, and then deploy it as well. So I have a question for you, and it's around, you know, you've talked about other infrastructure as code tools, and the mm -hmm. one that springs to my mind is Terraform, which is quite widely adopted. And is it a case, or is there any benefit that, that Bicep brings to people that use Terraform? Is there some kind of interop, or is it just a case of you use one or the other, and you, the two don't exist together? Um, so this is going to be a fun one. I did write a blog about it, um, because it's people always think one or the other. Um, I've had to embed an ARM template into a Terraform script, and that was miserable. Now, the Microsoft product group have put out a 
a tool called the Azure API. So we have day zero support with Terraform because that used to not exist. So when people needed day zero support, I'd say go bicep every time. Um, we have the Azure API tool that's out now. They can have day zero support. The other thing is you can import existing infrastructure with Terraform with the terrible name, Azure Terrify, one of our toolings. Um, yeah, I didn't, I did not have any part of that naming. Um, but that's, you know, again, I wrote a blog on that and it's not a hundred percent, but it's great. So when we talk about Terraform versus Bicep, if you are working in a multi-cloud environment, Terraform is great. Um, it, you can't use the same, uh, templates per se, but it's the same formatting it uses a different language. Um, it's also okay. very, very simple to read. So before Bicep came along, Terraform was my preferred tool. Um, and I'll be a little bit biased. I'm HashiCorp ambassador. I do a lot of work with Terraform. We've had them on before. Um, and I love it. I absolutely love the tool. Um, in terms of the features, some people have used Terraform, committed to it, and then regret it. And they're like, we would go Bicep now. But that, if you're primarily working in Azure day in, day out, go Bicep because you're using the tool that's built for the job. Terraform can have some hiccups. Um, and it's and because it's an open source tool, you know, it's free. It's great. Uh, Microsoft does contribute documentation to it and features to it, uh, but then the community does as well. So if there are things that are missing, the community is pretty big. And HashiCorp has a lot of other products they integrate in, but we do have a lot of that built into Azure already. Um, so you can leverage, you know, using the tools we have with uh, within the Microsoft ecosystem with Bicep. So I think I, when I see very Microsoft heavy shops that are in Azure and these teams are managing Azure, actually Bicep is a lot more preferred because it can do a lot. Um, and we talked about testing. Uh, the testing tools for Bicep are less mature than the Terraform ones, but even the Terraform testing tools are terrible sometimes. Um, they're heavy. They're heavy lifters. They can take a lot of time. And, um, you know, there is no perfect. It's always the it depends. But I think if you're an Azure specific shop, you you look at Bicep primarily. Yeah, one of the things that uh, I've heard about uh, tools like Terraform or Pulumi, uh is that they have state uh, state management, right? They mm -hmm. they kind of persist the state of your deployment. Yes. Whereas, uh, from your perspective, uh, what's the correct approach to uh, to handle that kind of state issue for our uh, listeners? Absolutely. Um, I love working with the state file because so when you work with Terraform explicitly, it goes it goes out and checks do these things exist, and it comes back and tells you yes, no, maybe. Uh, yes, no, or fail, really. Um, and then you can then deploy all the things that you need to deploy. With Bicep, I have actually seen a customer rerun their pipeline with existing infrastructure, reran their exact Bicep files, and it deleted everything. So because Oof. it doesn't maintain that state and Bicep didn't see the resources, um, I think they're using some conditional loops that were trying to scale everything. Um, someone had a very bad day actually a lot of people had a very bad day that day so for me i like maintaining the state but with that comes big responsibilities your state file needs to be stored somewhere secure because uh, your state file keeps um all the configuration of your infrastructure in a file effectively that if access someone has access to everything and you don't want that so you have to secure the state file um i believe I've written a blog on that way back in the day, but it, you have to think about security on that. Uh, you don't want to store it locally. If you store it in the cloud, you need to secure the networking to it, et cetera, et cetera. HashiCorp have a product that secure it as well, um, but you can secure an Azure and a storage account, no big deal. The other thing is the state file does in fact break. Um, you can get conflicts. So when you're doing a deployment in Terraform, it does lock out the state so no one else can do a deployment on top of it. 
Um, but sometimes the state file gets corrupt and I've been in situations where you can repair it. Um, I've been in situations where you have to delete it and redeploy. Um, I've been in all sorts of places where it's good and it's bad. So some people hate the state file because it locks out sometimes or a lot of times for them. Uh, but I also like it to maintain the infrastructure. And if there's been a change, I can trigger a pipeline and say we need to redeploy because sometimes maybe someone put their fingers in the honeypot and deleted something they shouldn't have. Um, and then we can just redeploy because uh, it doesn't match up to the existing state file. Yeah, this is one area that I wish Microsoft would do a better job uh, in, uh, you know, when you run the bicep uh, code twice uh, and figuring out what you have. Uh, I think that's important, right? Having that uh, ambiguity about what's going to happen. I mean, I know you could do like the, I guess, the dry run equivalent mm-hmm. to, to, to really see it. Uh, but uh, that that's that's concerning, you know, uh, as a DevOps yeah. person. They, they have put in the what if capability uh, into into bicep so the what if says what if i deploy this what happens the problem is it may not catch the existing infrastructure um and it doesn't give the same reporting back that terraform does terraform you can actually output what they call a plan so terraform calls it a plan and they say we plan to add and delete these resources and it shows you you can actually output output that check against that you can run tests against that so there's a lot more control um fine fine tune control and actually i was on a thread and uh, Brendan Burns chimed in on the uh, um, the bicep. He's the, he's the he's the leader of the um, the AKS and the ARM world these days. Yes, he is. He is. He's been a big driver behind bicep. But he chimed in and talked about you know the problem of what if and state files with bicep. And it's a common issue that all the infrastructure and code languages have. They're not perfect, and there's still problems with it. And I absolutely agree. It would be nice to not have the same issues that uh, some other customers have experienced. But I think it's it's tough, and that's why our testing is really important. Um, but yeah, sometimes you have conditions and loops in there, and it doesn't catch it. You run a pipeline, and you know sometimes things disappoint. But I think it's also then a case to have uh, gated environments and have protection against your production environment. So we we have to kind of change our mindset of how we deploy to our production environments, and that that really helps. I, and, and and I think I mean I think you make you know you both make some some really good points, but I think we do need to be honest with ourselves and say that even in the world before some of these these toolings, right? Lots of you know we would humans would mess things up in in similar ways as well, right? So it's it's sort of the problem has shifted and and we have to get better tools and get better about it. But it's in some ways it's not like these tools have just introduced a brand new new problem, right? I mean it, this is this is the I mean frankly to some degree this is why we all have jobs. If 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 keeping the infrastructure was up and running and was easy all the time, you know, they'd take a lot less of us, um, for sure. Um, but yeah, no, this is great, April. I, I mean, I think you present a really balanced view, sort of what's out there as well as sort of exposing us to it. Um, I'm just going to add this to my ever-growing list of, of skills and things I got to go pick up, um, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, so, but I appreciate the time. Any any sort of, I mean, we'll definitely include for the audience, you know, some of the links to to your blog and some of the resources that you mentioned. Anything else that you want to, or any last thoughts you want to leave our audience with? Automate all the things. Um, Love it. That's that's my best advice. Automate all the things. Having been in the firefighting position of an IT ops person for a long time, I moved into development and I learned that you don't have to be up at 3 a.m. You can automate a lot and you can have better processes. And that's that's how I fell into DevOps was learning that there is a better way. Uh, The process is hard. uh, Learning and re-engineering your teams is tough but it pays off in the end it pays dividends and the roi is huge for everyone so go automate all the things 
Awesome. I love that. I, I do have awesome. I do have one uh, one kind of follow up question for April there. So if you were to start uh, a brand new project, would you craft the bicep by hand or would you just deploy it to the portal, you know, get an ARM template and reverse engineer it first? Just to, I'm asking about the first uh, time you get started. What's the preferred way you go about it? To be completely honest, had you asked me this a few years ago, I would have deployed something, spat out an ARM template and converted it. Converting ARM templates isn't easy. Um, all I can say is there is a tool coming soon that is going to assist with that. And I might have a blog and a video about that soon. Just hint, hint, hint. Um, <laughs> shameless self-promotion uh, because it's it's a great feature because we have people with existing ARM templates. But um, now there are so many resources on GitHub and repositories that the product team have put out. I would go probably find a working template that someone else has put out there and use that because I can literally probably copy paste that in a couple minutes. Plus I learned how to do it. Plus I learned some of the other processes around it. Um, but yeah, I, April several years ago would have probably done the other way, but now I've converted ARM templates. Don't want to do it. It's painful. So I'll say to people, go find the code in one of the open source repositories, copy it, leverage it, deploy it, test it and start learning. There's so many great learning resources out there. And there's a fantastic Learn Live series that Microsoft has put out that shows you how to build your first ARM template. And it takes you to the repository where the code sits. And you can see other types oh, wait, of resources. Wait, wait. Ar ARM template or bicep? Sorry, template. bicep template. Did okay. I say ARM? I I've said ARM too many times. Today. So bicep <laughs> templates um, walks you through how to set up your bicep templates. And then they do a whole video series. And it also matches the learn path. So Microsoft has put out some great learning modules. So if you struggle with reading, um, I struggle with just I like to watch people do things. I'm very visual, a visual learner. So there's also a video how to kind of like a Twitch style stream of, you know, how to build your first bicep template. Uh, and then they take you through a whole series and they teach you how to deploy it and all that great stuff. So we'll put the links in for there for everyone because there's some great hands on stuff. And I'm, I'm more of a hands on learner. Um, I think it's the way forward. So um, a lot of people respond really well to that. So, yeah, we'll share that with everyone. Awesome. Thank you. Great. Cool. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate it. Y'all have, have a good day. Thanks, April. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.